Welcome back to Down the Rabbit Hole. I'm William. And I'm Sarah. And it's 2021. We took a few weeks off to celebrate the holidays. And now we're back. And what a year it has been already. Sarah, how are you doing? I feel like that's an interesting question right now. Yeah, it's a little bit loaded. Yeah. It's like <laughs> but I'm doing okay. Um, I'm excited for all of the episodes we have coming out in the next few months really they'll be good ones yeah i'm excited too um but yeah this year has been a doozy already it has been stressful and scary and just surreal in so many ways can we though just take a minute and appreciate all the snow that we got because i think that is the most snow that i have ever experienced living in this area yeah, it was really great. I mean, it doesn't snow that much in Austin. I remember my first winter in Austin and the first day that it flurried. And, and in our office, I sit facing this bank of windows. And I remember seeing it flurrying it and like having an excitement attack where I was just like giddy because it was flurrying. Like it was not sticking. It wasn't accumulating at all. But And so, yeah, this, this past uh, weekend when it snowed. It was pretty great. You did get more snow than me in the north than in the south of Austin. But well, it was nice because we have a big field behind our house. So there was like so much snow. And we all, not all of our neighbors have gates to this big field, but we do. And a couple other people do. So you could just see people like running out onto this field, like frolicking in the snow. And it was so beautiful. I loved it. It's so exciting. Um, I wish I had a field like that. I didn't, there's no real place for me to go play in the snow. So I just walked around in it for a while. But I also started this fellowship this weekend. um, And so I was on a Zoom call from like nine to five during like peak snow time. Um, So. And to be clear, this past weekend is the past weekend from when we're recording. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Anyway, I do love the snow and it's great. And there have been some silver linings to all of the stress that has been happening in our country. Maybe some accountability coming around the corner for a lot of different people. Certainly a reckoning for a lot of people who have had their eyes opened, which better late than never, I guess. But still. But here we are, and we are, like Sarah said, we have a lot of really cool topics coming up this year. And to kick it off, January is National Stalking Awareness Month and National Trafficking Awareness Month. And we will have an episode later several weeks from now about trafficking and the conspiracy theories related to trafficking. We're really excited about that episode. But today we're going to be focusing on stalking and what it is, how we as a society contribute to it, and maybe some prevention strategies. Um, So before we jump into that conversation about stalking, Sarah and I, because it's a new year, we do want to start anew with our icebreakers and such. So we're really going to set a goal going forward with any guests that we have to come up with unique random questions um, or things that are just fun to talk about. And we're going to kick it off with the two of us. 
And the question I've got for you, Sarah, is what is something interesting or weird that happens to you on a weirdly frequent basis? A weirdly frequent basis. So it's kind of like a two-pronged thing. Um, People usually come up to me and tell me they know me, people I've never met before. I'm terrible with names, but I won't forget a face most of the time. Some of you educators listening to this are like, girl, you've asked me my name like 600 times. (laughs) (laughs) So, but people will come up and be like, no, I've met you or you look so familiar, but... The weird part that has happened multiple times is I have someone come up and like when I'm tell them like I don't know you, they'll be like, Oh, well, I saw your twin then. And I'm like, Well, I don't have a twin. And I've had multiple people argue with me that I have a twin. Specifically, when I went to our community college, I was in the parking lot and this guy in my class came up and said this. And I was like, No, I really don't have a twin. And he was getting frustrated. And he was like, But I just saw her in the cafeteria. And I was like, Dude, I don't know what to tell you. But like, I guess I just have one of those faces, but it happens weirdly. What, how'd you word it? A frequently weird amount of times. Yeah, weirdly frequently. Yeah. Anyways. William. That is strange. Also, that kind of plays into our theme for the day. Um, I was thinking that too. Yeah. For me, my weirdly frequent thing is if someone, and you already know this, but if someone gets my name wrong, 90 in my entire life, I am 31 years old. And in my entire life, 95% of the time, if someone gets my name wrong, they call me Matthew. I feel like 95 is a very like on the nose. It is what it is. How do you gauge that, William? Because it happened. It happens so often. So, and I'm not talking about the times where people call me Will instead of William, which like, hey, if you do that, please stop. Um, But also like, okay, and not including the times when my mom is just like running through my siblings to like, right? Like that doesn't count either. Like someone that I just met, or someone who mistakenly is like, let me guess your name. Or like, kind of to your point, they're like, do I know you? Like, aren't you whatever? Um, 95, like, it's not, it's not the most scientific number. Like, I don't have like a data sheet anywhere, but it happens all the time. It does happen um, to you a lot. I remember you telling me this and I was like, yeah, whatever. But it has happened multiple times since I started working with you. Yes, it is. It is almost always Matthew. The next step would be um, Michael, which is weirdly enough, my brother's name. Uh, but Matthew is, and it, it happened to me um, recently. Someone who I had spoken to a long time ago left, called and left me a voicemail. Said, hey, Matthew, like, you helped me so much before. I need some new resources. And I was like, that is not my name. But it did. That time you're talking about, because I, I had told the team about it. I don't know how it came up that first time, but I told the team about it. And y'all were all like, well, whatever. Um, and then at at a training we were doing, we you know had done this thing. And, and one of the goals was like, all right, who thinks they can name everybody in the room? And sure enough, this person was like confidently like going around naming, 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 got to me and was like, Matthew. And then, and I almost fell on the floor laughing and was like, I told y'all. Fun fact, my parents thought I was going to be a boy up until the day I was born and they would have named me Matthew. Huh, well, look at that. <laughs> the world brought us together. <laughs> I love it. Um, yeah, it is. It is interesting. It's weirdly frequent. Yeah. 
So now you know. Name's William, not Matthew. Also not Will, but different different conversation for a different day. Um, so, stalking. Just a, <laughs> that was a nice abrupt, transition there. An abrupt transition. Like we said, it is Stalking Awareness Month. Sarah, could you start us off with some common language and tell us what stalking is? Yes. And if you want more information on definitions, all that kind of thing, feel free to go to stalkingawareness.org. They have a whole bunch of definitions and facts, lots of more information if you need it. We will link that in our description episode. But they say that stalking is a pattern of behavior directed at a specific person that would cause a reasonable person to feel fear. That's it. And I did, so I did some research on this and I was like, that's kind of a, that's like a broad definition. Like I, I don't really understand that. And that's like one of the challenges with prosecuting stalking cases, because like a reasonable person to feel fear, what you might feel fear from, I might not necessarily feel that fear or vice versa. And so it makes like these cases very challenging. So for a pattern of stalking or for stalking to become a pattern, you have to have two or more incidents of a situation that would cause a per- reasonable person to feel fear. So, Sarah, let me interrupt real fast. What kinds of things, what kinds, what kinds of behaviors would be considered those violent or dangerous things that you just said? So, again, I'm just using, like, the stalkingawareness.org, but they it says, like, what types of behaviors are considered stalking. So I'm just going to give their answer to that. It says that stalkers use a variety of tactics, including but not limited to unwanted contact, like phone calls, texts, or like contact via social media, unwanted gifts, um, which I want to touch on in a minute, showing up or approaching an individual or their families and friends, monitoring them, surveilling them, or like damage to their property or even just like threats. And what I find really interesting about like this is that unwanted gifts part because again going back to the definition of like a reasonable person to feel fear like in a lot of situations a gift would not necessarily cause you to feel fear so if things just keep showing up at your house like how that would just make the case even more complicated do you get what i'm saying yeah no and i think that's one of the things that is oh Similar to what we say around um, other survivors, survivors uh, that aren't being stalked necessarily, but is that the survivor knows their situation best, right? So um, someone from the outside might say, um, someone sent you roses and someone sent you chocolates and someone, that's so nice. And like the fear is because you are like, you don't know who this is coming from, like it's happening so often, or like maybe there's a note and you're like really weirded out. From the outside, it's really easy to to blow that off and say, but these are great things. These are nice, like nice gifts. And so it's definitely a a, a powerful tactic of a stalker because it, it's easily dismissed or overlooked by anybody that you might report it to. Yes. And I was out on a walk the other day listening to Crime Junkie. I love that podcast. I love true crime. And they did a whole episode on stalking. It was like a two-part episode. So it was two different stories. And this lady was getting like horrific phone calls and had like the voice sounded like somewhat familiar, but she like couldn't place how she knew this guy. And like threat, he full on threatened her life and the cops still didn't do anything because they're like, oh, we can't do anything. Sorry. And so like 
I don't know. Stalking is just very interesting to me because I don't think we talk about it that much. And like saying like, oh, well, roses are nice. Or like "Mm, a threatening phone call. Who cares? Like that is insane to me. Yeah, I also think that with those like phone calls and stuff, it's it's easy to not take it seriously. And I think that's often our our mind. It's a defense mechanism to say absolutely like, to to say, well, this person's just crazy, or they're they're not actually going to do anything. Or if you work in a profession like a, a politician or a public persona of some sort, like a news anchor or something, you might get letters like that regularly from people who are mad about your news coverage or about your politics and it's easy for you to become desensitized to it but if you don't take everyone seriously then it makes it all the more likely that the one that is serious is going to slip through right we just got real dark real fast which reminds me that we did not do any like official content warnings trigger warnings for this episode So before we go any deeper, let's do that. We are obviously going to talk about stalking and a lot of what that looks like or can look like and some of the horrible outcomes that can come from that. So please remember to pause the episode if you need to uh, and just take care of yourself. I think one of the things that makes stalking, that desensitizes a lot of us to stalking is the way that we use it in our vernacular particularly as it relates to social media. Living in such a digital, virtual age, we're so used to social media. We're so used to having that access to people. And so we, you know, when your friend starts dating someone, you're like, oh, have you stalked them on Instagram yet? Or, oh, I'm going to jump on Facebook and stalk them real fast. Right? We, We just use social media stalking as like a, a fun thing um often we we you know dig up old pictures of each other or like go back we and like find when facebook was you know first on the scene and it was it kind of preset the verb as like william is whatever and just to see how dramatic we were in high school like we go back and like look these things up and with our friends, it can feel really safe and really fun. And with strangers, you know, if you do meet a new dating dating partner and you want to go look them up, that can feel like a good part of your safety plan. And sometimes it is a good part of your safety plan. One thing that stuck out when you and I were talking about even having this conversation on the podcast is like, where is that line? And you said, like, I don't really know where that line is because it is so difficult. And I would, you know, I agree. I don't necessarily know what that line is either because we've all been there. We've all done that. And sometimes it is a necessity of, of safety when we, especially since like online dating has started and we do want like people to know who we're with or where we're going and all these things. So yeah, it's really complicated. It is. And it's, it's a lot of it has to do with intent, which makes, which is what makes that, uh, that line really blurry because just like you can fall into a YouTube hole or a TikTok hole where you're just like, it's hours later and you've just been scrolling through videos. You can do it on social media. Like if I'm going through your pictures, just because like we're friends and I'm like, I don't know, bored, like that I'm just scrolling through what I have access to. And is that bad? I don't know, maybe. But it's also it's also really easy 
to victim blame in the situation to say, well, you have control of what different levels of people can see on your social media. So if you don't have them set, then you clearly want people to see it, which is also not the case. Um, it's easy to say that. It's easy to say, well, like Sarah and I are friends. And so she's allowed me to have access to this thing. But it's also like I have self-control and can say, I'm going to set a limit on what I go trying to dig up. And like, that's where I said intent is important because it's like, why? Am I, am I just bored? Or am I trying to like find something embarrassing or am I like just joking? Like what, what is the intent? And certainly that is hard to determine. Did you know that stalking is a third degree felony in Texas? I did not know that. Hard shifts all around today. (laughs) I'm curious about that and like what constitutes that felony like what constitutes a felony charge right like i'm not saying we have to have the answers now i'm just saying i'm curious about does digital stalking like does it encompass digital stalking is it does it have to be like personal like does it have to like what you know and i'm not saying like like again we don't know the answers but i'm curious because because again because of how tech immersed we are as a society a lot of people view digital stalking as more innocuous than being outside someone's house or like following them to work or whatever, which it definitely feels that way. But it digital stalking is still a tool of stalkers and it's how they often get their information. It's how they figure out where people are. Right. And so. Well, I think that's. I mean, to be clear, we are not lawyers. This is where we need to contact our lawyer friend, Adam Dodge, which maybe we will. We'll see what happens. Anyways, but that's harder to prove, right? Like if I accuse someone of stalking and like, I can't just say they're stalking me on social media, but like if I had accused them of stalking, there's like an investigation, I would assume if they were social media stalking you and you could see that and prove that it would only like enhance things. Yeah, I think, yeah, no, I think with anything digital, it's, it's similar. It's a similar safety plan, right? It's like, keep the screenshots of like, how, how do you know they're following you? Like, are they leaving little comments? Are they reposting your things? Like, what are they doing? And, and keeping track of that is certainly part of the safety plan. Um, and taking screenshots if necessary, documenting it in whatever way you can, but like talking about like documenting everything, it's so important to do that when you do, I don't know, have a case, I guess, because like, again, it is so, that definition of stalking is so hard to prove because again, it's so vague. And so keeping documentation of any presence that were left or any comments that were left or like anything that you can document is crucial and saying, being able to say like, this is a consistent thing and it is a pattern and it does cause fear because of A, B, C, D, whatever. Right. And it's, and it's, it's hard because often the systems that are built for protection, whether that's advocacy systems, criminal justice, law enforcement, you have to sometimes convince them that that pattern exists as opposed to them assuming that you, again, know your situation. Coming back around to, we were talking about social media, but stalking comes up in other types of media as well. So Sarah and I have both watched you, um, which is the, the probably the most genius name of a television show ever. Tell me um, more. 
because I mean, just in that phrase where it's like, we've both watched you. It's like, is that listener thinking we've watched? Oh my gosh. I didn't even get that. Yes. (laughs) That is genius. Yeah. And it's, it is. Like, because even when we were talking about it, you were like, so let's talk about you. And I was like, what? What about me? Like, and you're like, no, the TV show. And I did not even make that connection. Yes, it is genius to name that, that, that show that and make it about stalking because are you watching you? Like, it's just, anyway, it's brilliant. Um, and it's a great show. It is terrifying in so many ways, but it kind of gives you... A, it takes you on a journey on how, one, uh, it can escalate, stalking can escalate, two, kind of in the mind of a stalker, how it works a little bit, like how they fixate on someone, and three, how they don't always come off as a bad person. And I thought four, they did an excellent job on that. Yeah, you root for him so many times throughout the show. And then you're like, this is the bad guy. Like, what am I doing? And you also get to see some of their tactics, right? And so they talk about that. They, they show some, some of that digital invasion of privacy and some other tactics that they work on incorporating themselves into their victim's life. So it is, it is, a, it is well done, it's been a while since I've seen that show, but I will never forget. I was, again, I remember both of us watching that show and like texting each other at some points being like, how the heck am I, how do, how do I like this guy, to your point? And being horrified in so many situations. And also like the actor, Penn Badgley, like putting out there on social media being like, I'm sorry, people are in love with this character. What is his name on that show? Joe. Joe. It's Joe. Mm -hmm. And, you know, all these girls are like, oh my gosh, I love Joe. He can stalk me. All these terrible things. And he was like pretty, I don't know, he might, I don't know him or like the things he's done to be clear. But he was in that moment, a really good advocate of like, this isn't a healthy relationship and this isn't what you should want and this isn't what you should be okay with. Because even though the character Joe is like, I'm protecting this girl and I want to help her have the best life, like what he's actually doing is not okay. And so I just really appreciated his stance on that and his like, I mean, because he could have sat back and been like, yes, love my character, love me. But he was outwardly being like, this is not okay, please stop. Yeah. And I think, I think that's what, again, what the show does such a good job at is it does kind of make you sympathize and fall in love with this character. And if you're not careful and if you're not doing that critical, like media literacy, media assessment, you miss that point altogether that this is not a healthy relationship. He is the bad guy in the show. And the, the, the ways that he fixates on someone to say things like, I know what's best for you. Like, poor you, you don't know what's best for you, I do, is is not healthy and absolutely borderline abusive. Um, and then it does become abusive um, in the show. And so that was really great of him to advocate for that or, or to raise that awareness and to call that out. And I think we also have a tendency as a society to think, when we think of stalkers, when we think of, I mean, stalkers in particular, there's like, I think we we think of this this maybe like really 
not attractive or really average looking person who is like in a trench coat who is like following you around right and the show works to go against that mentality as well well i think we do a lot of that in a lot of different situations yeah i think Uh, we assume that bad people are not pretty and that pretty people are nice yeah yeah and again going back to like one of those to our defense mechanisms i think it's also like a way to protect ourselves like if we don't become best friends with creepy guys who hide in trench coats in the bushes then we're fine and our kids are fine um and that's just not i mean we fight that in a lot of different ways in our movement because like with child pedophiles you know we've always like i definitely grew up hearing about like don't go to vans if someone offers to show you their puppy like don't let them don't go with them Mm -hmm. don't get their candy and as i've worked more in this movement but also like gotten more into true crime and learning like where that stemmed from and where that came from like a it was happening to be clear but then it just like skyrocketed and that's what people believed and that's what we still believe and we don't want to believe that people in our own lives can hurt other people or stalk other people and that's like too much for us to handle but like we have to be aware and we have to be willing to have these conversations and in most of those cases that's not how that's going to happen right Um, whether it's pedophilia whether it's stalking whether it's abuse chances are it's going to be someone that you know to, to some degree at least and not always, like stranger, um, stranger, stranger danger assault. is a real thing. <laughs> stranger danger is a real thing. Stranger assaults do happen, but the statistics show that, like, for most of these like more intimate crimes, it's going to be someone that you know, um, and that's not a lesson that we're taught to prepare us because we don't want to believe that someone within our own family or or our own friend circle is going to do that. And that ill equips us when it does happen. So, um, but yeah, I think this show kind of tries to undo some of that is that like, and that's also what contributes to people like fangirling over Joe and the show is because he's a pretty person. And Often we give excuses to attractive people that are like, oh my gosh, you're so hot, like whatever. And it's like, no, but this is not good. Like this person is abusive. They are a douche. They are a stalker. Like they may be attractive, but like that doesn't excuse their things. And some people go into those relationships. They're like, oh, you're attractive, but you have these bad behaviors, but I'm going to change you. I'm going to be the one. It's like... Ooh, we should do an episode on that sometime. I would love to. Yeah. Because it is so pervasive in our culture, all of those things you said, but especially like raising girls and women to like be the fixers of a lot of things. And like men, if you are pretty, especially if you're white and pretty, then you can just kind of do whatever you want to do. And so like those two things coincide and it it's just, ugh, it's just, a, it's a mess. Yeah. It's like when you have prominent Republicans that come out as gay um, and they're usually a prominent like white dude that's relatively fit and they have worked their entire careers to strip LGBT people of their rights or block them from gaining other legal rights. And as soon as they come out, you you have this faction of um, people that are like, oh, they're so hot, like whatever, blah, blah, blah. And they give them all these passes. And it's like, no, they're a trash person who has actively worked 
against their own community because they were, and you know, there, there's some trauma there that, that should be, there should be some compassion around, right? Like internalized homophobia is real, but you've worked against your thing. And so, and you've been awful and your prettiness shouldn't excuse your awfulness. Anyway, back to the topic of today. Uh, That was my mini soapbox moment. Talking about you, uh, the show, not you, Sarah Weaver, again, here we are with the genius of the show title. Um, um, real quick, I did want to note that, again, the stockingawareness.org, they have whole discussion guides for season one and season two on this. Mm, so yes. if you do prevention or you want to just have a conversation with anyone in your life, then feel free to go on this website and pull these little discussion guides down and have this conversation because it is crucial and it is so important. Yes. And um, it does. I think those discussion guides are going to be so helpful because they will help you realize some things you probably didn't realize about the show itself. Um, And hopefully that will like, catapult you into other conversations about the way we view relationships and violence more broadly mm-hmm. i wasn't listening sorry i got really distracted by this <laughs> wow one of the questions on here is do you think there is such a thing as a radar for bad people hmm. i don't know interesting. Very interesting. i think that's an interesting way to frame it because i think some people would say no but other people are like they give off bad vibes and like yeah. bad vibes saying that is like feeding into that radar for bad people, right? So are you know in some cultures like the one I grew up in, it's like trust your gut instinct. So if you have a bad like gut instinct, then don't go near that person. Yeah, it's very interesting. There's a whole bunch of great questions on here. I highly recommend it. So we've been talking about stalking um for a little bit now. Sarah, do you have any stats about stalking? Like how how common is it? Yeah, I have one. It says that one in six women have been stalked in their life team, lifetime and one in 17 men have been. And again, that comes from the same stalking awareness website, which to so, be honest, I, you know, I knew, I guess I knew, I guess I didn't know. I assumed, I assumed that more women were stalked than men, but I did not know or assume that it was so few men. I feel like in our work, there's like all the numbers are so like one in five and one and whatever, you know, like one in 17 feels like a little bit more, you know what I'm saying? I do know what you're saying, but I do think one in 17 is still a lot. Yeah. Um, it's, I think that it's, it's not as much as one in six. Um, and certainly when we talk about other types of abuse, we get to numbers like one in three and one in four, like you were saying, but um, one in 17 is still not, I mean, it's still a lot uh, of, of men. And I think that it's important, A, for men to know that they can be stalked as well, but also to recognize that it happens to women at a rate that's almost like three times uh, theirs. And so what does that tell us about this behavior? What does that tell us about preventing this behavior, right? And tell us about what we need to do with education. I would be curious uh, to know how that breaks down further. Who these people are, who the stalkers are. Like, are they um, partners? Like, are we talking about stalking within the context of a relationship where an abusive partner follows you to see 
where you're going or tracks your phone, you know, how often does that happen versus someone who um, is a stranger versus someone who is more of an acquaintance. So I would be curious to see that breakdown. Um, so if you have something like that, feel free to reach out to us and I do have us. some things. Oh, tell me more. <laughs> Not about all of the things, but again, the same website. They have a whole fact sheet. There's a lot of, there's just a lot of great resources yeah, on this website. You should go visit this website. Yes. And they said, I mean, again, some of these stats are interesting. Like before I get to one of yours, um, they said if they used a less conservative definition of stalking, which considers any amount of fear, like a little fearful, somewhat fearful, or very fearful, one in four women and one in 13 men reported being a victim of stalking, which I'm just curious, so curious about. But it does say the majority of stalking victims are stalked for, by someone they know, many of which are stalked by a current or former intimate partner or acquaintance. So kind of like yeah. to what you were saying. Most of these people said that they were stalked before the age of 25. So lots of young people. But I, but it doesn't say like, I wonder if like the, the stalker was young as well. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I do. Or if they I were like older. There's definitely, there's definitely a directionality to that. Um, yeah, I don't know. But it does say people aged 18 to 24 have the highest rate of stalking victimization. Yeah, which is another reason we should focus on young people more often when we talk about relationship safety and just safety planning generally. I think we often take for granted that young people are not in these types of relationships or not experiencing these types of things. And we see that they are. Um, and the reason, a contributing factor, I would say, to their rates being high is that we don't provide them with adequate education. We don't provide them with, and this is as a, a society, not any individual that may be listening to this podcast that is an educator who is in schools talking about these things. Like you're obviously trying to do the work, um, but our systems as a whole fail young people consistently across this country. Well, I was going to say like to that point, I think when I'm in my prevention bubble, whether it's with educators or like looking at grants who fund the education work, like there's so much focus on young people. But if I step outside of that bubble, then like to your point, there's not a lot of focus. People don't want to have these conversations, but it is just like, I mean, that, that gap has to be bridged where like people who are not currently like employed in this work or in like currently employed in prevention work, they need to start having those conversations. And I think that's kind of what you were saying, but mm -hmm. Just, I guess then I'm just reiterating everything you said. Anyways, that's okay. Um, I did find some stalker offend, wait, stalking offender stats. Tell me more. It doesn't say anything about their age though, which okay. is kind of a bummer. Anyways, so two thirds of stalkers pursue their victims at least once per week, many daily using more than one method. 78% of stalkers use more than one means of approach. Weapons are used to harm or threaten victims one out of five cases. That's a lot. Almost a third of stalkers have stalked before. And then intimate partner stalkers frequently approach their targets and their behaviors escalate quickly. What was that last one? Intimate partner stalkers okay. frequently approach their targets and their behaviors escalate quickly. So like maybe like an acquaintance may not approach the person or may mm -hmm. not like speak to them or be in the same space as them like 
specifically, but they might be more likely to use like social media or dropping things off or just staying at a distance. Whereas intimate partners will get next to the person or near the person. Um, They feel safer doing so. Well, and then it goes into a lot of like domestic violence, dating violence things. Like those lines get blurred real fast. This other thing says that stalking victims suffer much higher rates of depression, anxiety, insomnia, and social dysfunction than people in the general population, which makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, again, going back to the Crime Junkie episode I was listening to, they talked a lot about that, about how stalking victims experience PTSD. But if we go back to like that definition of like a reasonable person feeling fear, we often negate it because what I am fearful of may not be what you are fearful of. And also we distance ourselves when we know someone who's experienced something like that. So it's like, oh, it's probably not that big of a deal. They never came in your space or whatever. Full circle back to the beginning of this episode, like who cares if you get roses once a day or something like that. So it's just, I think it's a very dismissed um, and to some extent by a lot of professionals, helping professionals in general. And I think that is often the impetus for those mental health issues is that dismissal or that that feeling of not being heard from other people and that feeling of, well, I'm just going to seclude myself because that's the only way that I feel safe. Um, and it, it just uh, builds up to these mental health crises. So... <laughs> We've talked a lot about what stalking is, how prevalent it is, what it can look like. We've had like prevention tidbits thrown in there, which have all very heavily focused on stalking victims. Like how can we not become stalking victims? How can we keep ourselves safe? But what about like educating people on not stalking people? I think that's a great idea. I think it's it's such a big thing because... You could do direct education about like, hey, don't stalk people. Um, but it's it's so much broader than that, right? To say like, let's teach emotional literacy. Let's teach how to handle rejection. Let's teach um, how to communicate in healthy ways, right? It's all of these other life skills that we're not teaching to young people. Then they grow into adults who don't have these skills. And we have less access to teach adults things. Um, and so then it just perpetuates this, these bad attitudes, beliefs, and behaviors. So, so yeah, we, we should be teaching young people um, and people broadly not to stalk each other. Um, we should be teaching them how to respect boundaries. And we have to teach them all these other things that go along with those life skills that support that education, that reinforce it, that make the temptation to stalk less prevalent, I guess. That sounds like a weird phrase, but like to say like, hey, I know how to recognize my feelings for this person. I know how to approach them and communicate them when communicate with them and how to handle their rejection if that is the fate of the situation. What you said made me think of like 25 different things. So... Even like so much so that I had to write them down. First one being when you're talking about helping people handle rejection sparked one of my favorite memories of doing prevention work. I was working with um, an alternative school and we did a session on consent and 
somehow this spiraled. I don't really know like how we got here, but that's okay. And these boys were like, well, if someone tells me no, like that's a personal offense. And you're like, I'm sorry, can you explain a little bit more? And he was like, well, it's about me. So if they don't want to hang out with me, if they don't want to have sex with me, if they don't want to date me, like that means I'm bad. And we had a really good conversation mm-hmm. about like, not necessarily, you know, because maybe they want to sleep and they don't want to go out that night or, you know, they're just not interested in dating or they don't want to date. Like maybe it is actually about them and not you, right? Like the whole cliche, it's me, it's, it's not you, it's me kind of thing. But like maybe that's an actual thing and it's not, it doesn't make you bad. It doesn't mean you're bad, but people have the right to say no and the right to choose. And like that was just a concept that this group of guys could not grasp. And luckily I was not the only person in that room because I don't think I would have known how to respond very well in that moment. But she responded so wonderfully. And like, it was just, it made me really sad, to be honest, that we do internalize so much. And then there's a lot of, there can be a lot of like hate or frustration or anger or fear and lashing back out just because someone said no. And so like kind of separating the idea, like sometimes it is about you and sometimes that person's a jerk and I want to say no, right? (laughs) Like that is the case in some situations, but it's not always the case. And so if we always jump to that conclusion, I mean, that's harmful in a lot of ways for ourselves and for other people. Yeah. And I think, I think that that's a really powerful thing for that young person to reflect on. Um, I don't necessarily agree with their framing, but it feels like that. That's that's often how rejection feels. is like a personal affront, like something is wrong with me. I'm not good enough. Especially if you are routinely receiving rejections. Um, and maybe you think you're a good person. You think you're nice. You think you're smart. And it's easy to say, well, there's got to be something wrong with me. I think often we don't, again, do enough to foster emotional literacy in young boys in particular to be able to help them identify those feelings of sadness and worthlessness that they might, that might start to creep up when you're faced with those rejections, especially those early rejections. And I think that while we should focus on like being able to accept rejections we should also teach how to give rejections because if you give a rejection that's like no you're ugly like i mean it's it's easy to understand why somebody is like oh i'm ugly like right and so but that's not an excuse right um it's just to say that we all need to work on our communications we need to teach healthy communication to all people and it's easier to say just no than and then to teach people not to ask her follow-up questions because if someone says no and you say but why and they tell you you're ugly well guess what that's your own fault (laughs) um if they say no and you say why and they're like because you're an asshole like guess what that's your own fault you asked when you should have just accepted their no at face value I said, okay, thank you. Have a nice day. Yeah. And it is, I mean, it's so tricky. And I think even just this conversation, we could go on for a long time. But that was one of the other points I wrote down is like toxic masculinity and how that can also play into stalking too. And like having these conversations to prevent toxic masculinity and change the culture that really promotes that. 
is stalking prevention as well. The last thing I wanted, and we touched on this a little bit, was like romanticizing stalking. And I, you know, as much as like you and I can sit here and talk about how much we love the show, you and like how they did such a great job. Like it's it's hard to balance because then we we help promote that to like the one of the top shows on Netflix or one of the most talked about shows and to some extent it does get romanticized like all those girls on Twitter talking about like he can stalk me please and like all that kind of stuff and so we romanticize this idea and then people think we want it and that like balancing that is really hard too because I I do love the show and I think it's a good talking point but also I don't know. I agree. I think it does get romanticized. I think it gets in a similar way that jealousy sometimes gets romanticized. And it's like, oh, it's because they care. Yeah. They stalk me because they care about me or because they want me, they want to make sure I'm safe or they want to like whatever, whatever the back end of that romanticization, romanticizing is, is the excuse that we provide for the, the behavior that is unhealthy. And some people do that as a defense mechanism, right? Because they don't want to believe that they're in an unhealthy relationship. Some people do that because that's what they've been taught. That's that's the only behaviors that they've seen. Some people don't recognize that that just like any type of abuse, stalking is about power and control. Uh, and it's it, it's harder for people to wrap their head around that because often stalking is done at a distance right so some people are like well they're so far away how are they having power and control over you and it's like well the installation of fear is a power move knowing where you are at all times is about control and people are like well how is giving gifts or leaving messages power and control it's because they're they're unwanted they are not prompted you know and they they do control that narrative they control that situation by saying like i know where you are and i know these things about you Um, they control a lot of the victim's life in that they're less likely to go out or do things alone or do certain situations and so like they're controlling that person's life in so many different ways yeah so and i think that's that's what people don't realize is that it's not it's not just an innocent thing. It's not, even if they never, even if they never plan on making physical contact with their victim, it's not okay. And it is, it's about power and control and it is unhealthy and certainly um, abusive. So it's something we have to work and we have to realize the nuances to it and the complexities in order to do the prevention appropriately. Right. And most effectively, again, any any type of prevention when we're talking about relationships has to focus on the perpetrator, I think, more so than we do to say like, hey, don't hold these attitudes and beliefs, don't commit these behaviors. And when we're talking about safety planning for victims, talking about all the various aspects of stalking, right, like the gifts, the um, seeing someone just all the time and. Um, noticing things around your house like are are the plants moved out front or are the like is anything moved on the inside right like of course all the digital safety tech safety things that can be enormous in number but yeah yeah it's very it's incredibly complex and I the last thing I think I want to 
you know, you touched on like really focusing on the perpetrator and, and that's something our culture doesn't like to do. We like to uh, teach each other how to remain safe and which is important. It is so important, but we have to start being able to have conversations and holding people accountable if we want our culture to change at all. So on that note, if you or someone you know is a victim of stalking, there is help, there is support, there are resources, some of which we will link in our episode description. If you have any questions, comments, want to talk through anything, feel free to reach out to us on our prevention email. Anything you want to add, William? Yeah. One other thing is that this conversation can be really scary. Sarah provided us a trigger warning. She caught that we didn't give it at the beginning. And anytime we talk about abuse broadly, but stalking specifically, because it seems so intangible often, people can, it's easy to feel like someone's watching you all the time, right? Or, or to, to, to panic and say, oh my gosh, is someone stalking me? Just like when we talk about tech abuse, you're like, I'm going to throw my phone in the trash. And we don't want to encourage that panic. We don't want we want you to know the warning signs. It certainly is a problem that affects one in six women and one in 17 men at the least and one in four and one in 13 at the most. But we don't want you to live in fear necessarily. We don't want this to scare you, but we want we want you to be safe. We want to give you these resources that we have and and it is it is a conversation, unfortunately, that we have to have. So um, just wanted to bring that up, too, is didn't want to cause anyone undue anxiety or panic after listening to this episode. But certainly reach out to the reach out to us, reach out to um, National Domestic Violence Hotline or check out the resources. Sarah's going to link in the description. And next week, we'll be back with a slightly lighter topic, talking about working with faith communities and what that looks like. But yeah, we'll be back next week with that and a special guest. And we will see you guys later. Bye. Bye. Bye.